When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Sunderland won again at the weekend, which makes it, by my count, seven, I think, in all competitions now. Uh, which is wonderful. We used to be losing seven in a row. Now we're winning seven in a row. Uh, but before we talk about the match, uh, I just wanted to thank everyone for the kind comments from the podcast we've had in the last couple of weeks. No, it makes it worthwhile when people are appreciating what you do. And uh, so I just want to thank everyone for that and the kind words. And the people who weren't kind, well, thanks for listening anyway. Because you know what? Not Still get the com- listens. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, please, it everyone. all counts. Um, but I want to welcome today James Hunter. Uh, from the Chronicle, you're back for you your go. second appearance. Yes, indeed. Yes, yeah. and must have done something right. Yeah, you got a call back. You got a call back. And uh, Johnny Goldsmith, who's back on for the second time this season. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. The first time. time you embarrassed yourself, you were rusty. Yes, I know I was. Yes, but last yesterday I was at the game, so hopefully, yeah, uh, be better today. You're more informed than me. I watched it from the comfort of my home in Blythe. We got to see a lot of things. There's a lot of things we didn't see because of the angle we were at the ground. So you might have seen some things. <laughs> a little bit better than us, but the ground's a bit of a higgledy piggledy one. It looks like it's not a uh, a regular stadium. I think it was interesting. It was, it was built after the war, wasn't it? It's one of the few built. Yeah, I mean, it's the first time I, I've been there for twenty years. Actually, it's about twenty years since uh, since you I went, last what, went. Ninety eight, ninety nine. Used to be uh, the media used to be housing a port cabin on the roof, and I just remember uh, uh, the game I was there. It was Port Vale against Bradford City, and uh, there was, it was raining so heavily that you couldn't see out of the port cabin to see what was happening. The rain was coming off the roof, and so uh, Chris Cooper was doing the radio commentary that day, and he had to go and sit outside in the rain because otherwise he couldn't see. Okay. Yeah, and the, the ground looks a little bit more modern um, than some other grounds. I mean, there was one part of the ground where it's just a massive concrete a stairs and i'm guessing that's a standing area but it doesn't look particularly safe so i'm not sure if that's like something they can't use maybe is that like i a... think i recall seeing it on the telly i was like they must have just took the seat out there yeah i don't know it looks yeah. like either an area where whether there's no seats or it looks like an area of terracing with no barriers it's, you know take, take mm-hmm. your pick yeah uh I did a three-word review yesterday and we haven't done the three-word review that often this season because normally we forget to put it up or i forget to read it out but Today, I'm going to read a few. So, first one is from yours truly, James. You said, no replay, yes. Yeah, that would have been the worst outcome of all. Yeah, well, it's an extra day's work for you, isn't it? So. And I've got some time off next week, which yeah. is the sort of really selfish reason for not wanting a replay, because <laughs> I would have had to cancel it too. The thing is, though, I said the same, I watched it with my friend, and I was like, you know what, I really can't be bothered to go to the stadium light on a Tuesday to watch Port Vale. I was like, I mean, I would have went, obviously, because I have to go, but... I just didn't fancy it. Uh, Mark Carrick says, into round two. That's a very strong answer. Just 
Same with the facts. Mm. Gary Wood says thank you next. Samuel J. Cottrell wins a win. Daily into round two. Gaz, first 30 magic. Craig Benison, twitchy arse time. He's still twitchy arse after the game. It's interesting. <laughs> uh, Rob Hill Walker, next round, Howie. Parker SAFC, tickle the gooch or tickled the gooch. Uh, I'll read one more. I'll see if there's any any particularly ones that catches out. Oh, this one's from Ryan Pidge. Nil desperandum or peace dio, which means uh, it's it's got no translation from Spanish or Microsoft. Oh, it's disappointing. That was a waste of a final. Oh, wait. George fucking Honeyman. There we are. There's the final one I'll do. <laughs> uh, you got an eight yesterday off Roger Report. Oh. Oh, uh, what would me. you have given Honeyman yesterday? Well, I could be man of the match, so I guess that would have been... But I'm not allowed to give him more than a six. You've got to remember that. He has to be six only. Six only. Yeah. <laughs> I gave him seven, if I remember rightly. You were seven? No, I, no, 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 I would have given him about an, uh, seven or an eight. Yeah. I, I would have given him eight. I was happy with my eight. Anyway, the lineup uh, quickly run through that. So, McLaughlin, Nets. It was actually a very strong team, surprisingly. McLaughlin, Nets, Adam Matthews, Tom Flanagan, Jack Baldwin, Reese James, left back. Midfield, Honeyman with McGeoch lineup, which was a surprise. I was expecting Max Power to get called up in there, but he didn't. Uh, Maguire on the left, Gooch on the right, McGeady in the middle, or kind of fluid actually between them. It's hard to tell who's exactly playing where. And then Jerome Sinclair lined up up front, took the lead in 45 seconds. George Honeyman, it was a good goal. And anyone miss it? Nope. Thankfully not. No, catch it. In good time. Were you in the ground with good time? Always there in good time. Oh, yes, 30 minutes before the game. Fair play. <laughs> About two and a half hours before. <laughs> <laughs> uh, second goal to Lyndon Gooch on 20 minutes again. It was a Decent enough goalkeeper. Maybe he could have done better, but good strike. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul Vale got one back through Tom Pope, who I thought was pretty impressive, but there's a debate on offside, so I'm going to throw it quickly out there. Was that an offside goal? Um, at the time, I couldn't tell from where, where I was. You couldn't see that there was anybody offside, but I've now seen the TV pictures, and for me, it looks offside, yeah. But there was no complaints, probably uh, just because Sunderland won in the end, had, had it not have been the case, yeah, you know, there might have been more made of it. Yeah, well, so with me, I mean, as I say, I haven't got to see the replay, but I mean, it looked just a, a decent enough goal, I guess. But I mean, um, my mate actually jinxed it, I think, because he said to me, is Tom Pope still playing for these? And of course, a couple of minutes later, he pops yeah, up Tom and Pope scores. scores. The goal. I think he's so a like, star man, isn't he? So. It's like, well, so yes, he still does play for these. Then. Did, did everyone see the, the Charlie Austin? Yes. Uh, one at the weekend. I uh, haven't seen it, heard loads about it. I was going to say, you know, heard his interview oh. I have heard his interview, but I haven't seen I haven't, I haven't seen, seen the, the pictures event. because uh, I haven't yet uh, got around to watching match of the day. But I have heard him on the uh, radio a few times. There might be a little uh, bit of a fine coming his way, probably with the comments. Yeah. You'd imagine yeah. you can afford it. Yeah, not realize that coming out of his bank. Yeah. Um, so Sunderland saw the game out with a few scares, uh, but we we made it into the hat. Wasn't. Mm. The second half wasn't wasn't great, to be honest. In fact, from a, the whole game from a spectator's point of view was not really the best. It wasn't the best game. Um, I think it was you know a job done, as we say. It's weird because normally if Sunderland go two one, you know two 0 up, and then we concede, normally be on the edge of my seat thinking, "Oh, here we go again. It's going to happen." But I didn't really feel that way too much in this game. I felt sort of comfortable for most of the time. Um, yeah, I mean, I thought the first half hour was pretty good. I thought, you know, some, some of them were, were two up and could easily have run away with it at that stage. They seemed to be able to waltz through Port Vale's back line pretty much at will in that first half hour. But to be fair, Neil Aspin, you know, the former Gateshead manager, um, he made an early call, made a change of shape, 
brought on uh, a substitute because uh, his right wing back was uh, getting uh, tortured by Aidan McGeady and, and that really tightened them up and of course very quickly afterwards that substitute set up the uh, the goal, got them back in it and, I, and then it became a, a proper cup tie I, I thought and it could have gone either way um, for about, uh, well for, for the rest of the game really because obviously in the second half they had the penalty shout on just after the hour and then uh, there was a, an unbelievable block from Reese James from uh, from Pope uh, inside the six-yard area with about 10 minutes to go or else we would have been heading back for that replay. Yeah, there was a few uh, scrambles. It was, it was getting mm, a, was, bit, yeah. a bit, uh, well, I don't know what the word would be, scary or yeah. twitchy arse time or whatever that was. Before. I mean, George Honeyman had a chance to make it 3-1 as well and that's probably why I didn't give him an eight because yeah. uh, had that one gone in, then, uh, you know, that would have been... Uh, there was a chance near the end for Madger as well. Yeah. Uh, as well so... Um, it was. I thought he might have got a goal because he's doing quite well at the moment, um, but it wasn't to be. But we got through. Um, it's the name of the game. Yeah. I want to quickly talk about uh, the fast start. I don't think we've really started that fast this season. I think maybe the Scunthorpe game. But even then, we should have conceded a penalty that day. So I don't think we were actually, the first 20 minutes, I don't think we we're actually necessarily that good against Scunthorpe. Yesterday, first 20 minutes... We're, we're blitzing. We haven't really seen that from Sunderland this year, and I thought that was interesting. That you know we didn't do our usual of go to half time nil nil and then figure the game out from there. We we actually had a go early on. I mean, it was, mm. it was fascinating, really, when you think about the the first goal. I mean, it all came from a from a throw in on on the right. Adam Matthews threw it into Jerome Sinclair. It's a poor touch from Jerome Sinclair, and uh, Chris Maguire picked picked it, it up. So you know, fed uh, George Honeyman, and you got a goal. Once you go in front after thirty six seconds in a cup tie like that. It absolutely kills the atmosphere, mm-hmm. um, you know, amongst the the home fans. And Port Vale really struggled to lift themselves until they got that uh, that goal uh, just after the half hour. I thought the quality of the goals as well, particularly I think Honeyman's first goal, you know, the strike, you know, really really good goal. And um, we are going to talk a little bit later about uh, did we all see Georgia Leck uh, ruffling Sunderland fans' feathers uh, with the XG expected goals and touches in the box. Not really. I don't pay pay, pay, pay much attention. Uh, I I've, I still I've, don't understand XG. It's uh, it's all, yeah, well, it's all foreign to we're me. Gonna, we're going to sort of talk about that in a minute, but that kind of fits in what we're talking about. But are we worried about the poor end of the game? I mean, we failed to kill them off. Um, and I, mm. I was sort of underwhelmed after the quick start that we weren't able to get the third goal. And then the second yeah. half, we again weren't able to get the third goal and put it to bed. So is that concerning? I don't think so. It's FA Cup tie football, isn't it? You know, it's 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 probably what you'd expect um, in a in a game like that. You you don't always have it your own way. There are there have you know been uh, much bigger and more expensively assembled teams than than Sunderland that have come a cropper against uh, lower division teams. So I don't think it's a it's it's a big big problem. I mean, Sunderland did have what it took to to see it through in the end, and that's that's what matters. Johnny, what do you think? Yeah. Um... I don't, I don't know if maybe they were just trying to not push themselves too hard in case of any more injuries because we do have the, the league is still the priority. Um, so maybe it was they obviously had the confidence to see the game out and maybe they just didn't feel like they didn't want to risk any big injuries. So they had to just like take the time. Um, obviously, you probably shouldn't do that in games at all, but uh, maybe they just had the confidence to the Portville wouldn't penetrate them and. Most of them, they nearly did uh, quite a few times, but um, I think we got off a little bit lucky. To be fair, do you think the the massive pitch made a difference? I mean, that pitch at Port Vale on the TV anyway it just looked huge. 
Uh, I can't say I really, really noticed. Apparently, it is uh, the biggest in the football league. Yeah, is that right? Well, I mean, what amazed me actually was that the touchline seemed to be quite a way in on on the line in front of me. So I thought that it possibly, if anything, they made it narrower. Um, um, but uh, but that was just it might just be that it's on a very big patch of grass, you know. But uh, I don't. I think if anything, that that would suit Sunderland rather than Port Port Vale in a in a game like that. So I, I don't think that things like that make too much difference, really. And team selection. So we touched on it a little bit before, but. You know, Max Power back, you'd think this would be a good game to ease him into. Starts on the bench, Jerome Sinclair starts up front instead of uh, Josh Madger. Lugo Nine, surprised he didn't get a, mm. a start in this game. And then even, you know, Flanagan's going to miss the game next weekend. Could they have maybe have played Lubin's or take just to you know get them playing together in a game that doesn't necessarily mean as much? I mean, were you surprised by how strong the team was and that he did leave a few players out that were expecting to play? I expected if uh, um I expected him to field a, a strong side, um, maybe one or two more changes than we actually saw, obviously just the one change, but uh, I expected maybe two or three. Um, but I can understand why he decided to go about it that way. Um, obviously, with the Checker Trade Trophy game against Morecambe coming up, there's an opportunity to make changes in that game. And I think a lot of those players that, that you mentioned are going to get a run out in that game. Alimos to Glenn Leuvens, Robin Reuter, um, you know, probably Luke O'Neill and Max Power, certainly. So I think, you know, had had there not been a, a checker trade trophy game on Tuesday, you would have probably made more changes on Sunday. As it is, I think that the way that Jack Ross approaches this is to really decide what his team is going to be for Tuesday and then work backwards almost. Um, and I know that managers say that they, they never look any further than the next game, but we all know that's not true. So I think that's that, that's probably a more likely explanation. I agree with James. I, uh, I think that... Um... I think that he probably would have rested some players um, and saved them for Tuesday. I feel like the, the game against Morecambe will be the one where he plays the lesser, uh, the, the second string players almost. Um, I think you can probably suggest from that he may take the FA Cup slightly more seriously than check a trade trophy, perhaps. Um, we are actually through pretty much the check a trade, aren't we? Just take a bit of a miracle for one not to go through. Yeah, I mean, the, the, it's it's not impossible to uh, to get knocked out, but it's uh, very, very Im- improbable. You'd need a, a, a certain sequence of, of results. Sunderland would have to lose pretty heavily by, uh, uh, sorry, up at um, Morecambe tomorrow, and then you'd need Carlisle and Salt City under-21s to draw and then Carlisle to win the penalty shootout. So, so you, you're kind of, uh, you know, you're, you're sort of on a bit of a, a whim then, aren't you? So I, I, they're as good as through. I think I do think the likes of Ostek and Leuvens will play. Um, I think Baldwin and Flanagan might get rested. Uh, but Flanagan will be there. Flanagan's mm. away on international mm. duty. I think he's oh, the only yes, one we've got though. I think oh, it's Mumba, uh, Bally Mumba, Benji Kimpioka, yeah. people like that are are away on uh, mm. you know with the uh, international youth teams. Yeah. Uh, where where was I? Lost myself there. The defence, I was still looking as watertight as what we were a few games ago. I mean, I, th- I think there was a, a few shaky moments yesterday, particularly in the second half. There was a few goal mouth scrambles. I mean, do you think that's just the way it is? You're never going to have the perfect defensive game? Or do you think yesterday was a worry? Baldwin made a few a few mistakes. Uh, obviously, should have, in my opinion, conceded a penalty as well. So is that a worry? Um Again, I think these things are only really a worry if they become a pattern. Am I just putting worries out there because we keep winning, and I have to, like, as a Sunderland fan, yes, be negative like, about something? I, th- yeah. I think I think it becomes it becomes a worry when it becomes a pattern. I think you know, on a on a one off game, it's not it's not a problem. I think uh, you know, um, 
you're right, there were there were a few shaky moments, but really you get shaky moments in, in every game. Uh, you know, you could look back to the Plymouth game and say there were moments when Sunderland should have conceded, but John McLaughlin came to to the rescue. So it depends on how you look at it. I mean, Port Vale were very direct, um, probably more direct than than the vast majority of sides Sunderland have faced this season. Um, so it's just a different style, different different thing to to cope with. Yeah, I think um, when you think about Sunderland, obviously our league one side and. So there is moments where they will tire, they will lose concentration because they're in that league because obviously they're not Premier League quality. So, I mean, if you may be playing Port Vale or playing a higher league team, they might have um, a more difficult time. I feel like in League One, League Two, the teams aren't, there isn't much difference between the quality of them. Do you think I'm thinking of Sunderland more as a Premier League team where these mistakes are punished yes. nine mm. times out of ten, whereas in League yeah. One, no. They're, they're punished. So, like, if they times. make mistakes, it's not as likely that um, they'll be punished for it. At least this. What do you make of Aidan McGeady's recent performances? Um, he, he's came back in, and the Shrewsbury game, he, he looked a little bit out of sorts. And then obviously South End, he got the goal, and from there, he seems to have kicked on a little bit. I mean, what do you make of his performances? And do you think Jack Ross will be very keen to keep a hold of him? Do you think Sunderland will resist offers for him in January if they come? I think it depends what offers the they are and and you know uh, whether he wants to to move on do you think he's the one of the players that's you know they really don't want to move or do you think he's a player that fits the Oviedo category of we would move him if we need to I, I think that the club needs to move players in January so a lot depends on uh, if you can get the players that you want out of the door if you can't you know let's say the club wants to move uh, Brian Oviedo on because of his wages um, and if they can move him on then obviously you can keep others but if you can't move Brian Oviedo because the offers don't come in then you need to move other people instead because ultimately the club's got to save on its wage bill in January so um so that so who the offers are for makes a makes a big difference I think in McGeady's case um he's got something to offer at this level he's certainly got the quality that can you know unlock defenses and win games and uh, um you know give Sunderland an edge you ask yourself, you know, he's a different kind of player. He's 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 going to play in fits and starts. He's not going to produce ninety minutes of of quality. He never he's never done that throughout all his career. It's always been in 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 uh, short bursts. But you know that's that's what you're getting in him, and you know that in this in this league it, that will help you if you're trying to win promotion. So I don't think Sunderland are, are desperately trying to offload him, but um, you know I, I don't think that um, you know he's he's untouchable either. I think on his day, he is one of the best players in the league in terms of the quality that he gives. Um, but he's, as you say, he does, and it's in bursts. It's like one in every few games he has a good game, and then he just disappears. I don't even think it's that. I think it's like for 20 minutes in every night. In fact, it's yeah. not even 20 minutes. It's just he shows a quality ball or a quality shot, mm, yeah. and he does that a few times in every game. But, I mean, he's, his defensive side is, is weak. I mean, yeah. be honest, it is. And... Sometimes he is a bit of a liability, but you have him on there. I mean, we can talk a little bit about the Plymouth game at half time. People would have not been upset if McGeady mm. came off, but you leave him on because he always just has that potential to do two players and yes. ping it in the bottom corner, which is yep. what he did. So I think, you know, that's what he offers. I don't mm. think it's it's game by game consistency, it's minute by minute consistency. Yeah. It's yeah. just. Well, that's the thing. I don't know if um, an offer would come in from in January in that sense because if a championship team looks at that and will have the patience for someone like that who yeah. doesn't produce every week like that um, for 90 minutes, you know, and it's, I think in that respect, we might have the advantage of being able to keep them because I don't know if teams will 
want to risk it, spending money on him. But this is why Aidan Mugidi at 32 is playing for Sunderland in League One. You know, if he was producing, um, you know, 90 minutes of quality performances or even 80 minutes of quality performances, he'd be playing in the Premier League. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, while we're on the, the subject, McGeady, we've got a question from Sam who says, obviously we know how good Watmore is, Stroke was, but where does he fit into the team? Can't drop Maguire and Gooch for me, so he has to be in for either McGeady or playing up front. Thoughts also got to fit Honeyman in somewhere. So, I mean, I suppose the question here is, is when everyone's fully fit, if that ever does happen, um, how how do we fit all them pieces in? Well, Duncan, when when he is full fully fit, is is not going to be able to play in every single game. You wouldn't expect him to, or or take that risk. So he's going to be a bit part player. I would I would suggest for probably the rest of the season because he's coming back from two uh, what would have been not that long ago career ending injuries, and he suffered them back to back and played half a dozen games in between. He's played you know five or six games in two years, so you, you can't. He's not going to be a, an option to play him or start him in every single game from the moment he comes back. So I think he's going. He's going to be making cameo appearances from from the bench. He's you know sometimes he might replace Josh Madger up front. Other games it'll be uh, he'll be the man that comes on to replace Lyndon Gooch. He'll be he'll be just a part of the whole. It won't be a case yet of uh, building him into your starting eleven every single week. So I don't think there'll be a problem that Jack Russell have to encounter just yet do you think that's a it's good as well for Jack Ross because it means that he's got a player there who's probably going to be happy to get 15-20 minutes because he knows the risk of playing full 90 minutes do you think it's good for Jack Ross to know he's got a player there who's going to be happy to come on for 20 minutes who we know can cause havoc as well if you're winning a game 1-0 yeah. and you bring on Duncan Watmore on the counter attack we know he gets chances Yeah. so that's got to be good for Jack Ross yeah, he's a fantastic option to have, and you know, just like we've said about Aidan McGeady in League One, um, Duncan's going to have the the quality and the and and we hope um, still the pace to unlock defenses, and he's going to do that in short bursts. Um, he's he's a fantastic player to have available to you. Um, in the longer term, maybe next season, you'd be looking at how you can fit him in as a permanent member of your, or uh, you know, a fixture in your uh, starting eleven. But that's not going to be the the problem in the short term. Yeah, I think um, when one of the other players maybe has a dip in form, then it would be a chance for him to get put into the team and see how he does. Uh, I mean, obviously, I'm a big Maguire fan, um, as you all know, and I, I think at the moment he wouldn't be someone you drop for. What more? Maybe McGeady. It depends on how he does in terms of his, um, as we've mentioned, the way he sometimes plays a bit off form. Um, and I agree with maybe not being a regular fixture in the team this season from starting. Um, but as I say, it depends on injuries and how well the other players are doing. Uh, I did mention George Alec before, but I'm going to, if you both haven't seen it, I'm going to roughly say what he's been saying. So he is a stats guy. Um, and he ruffled some Sunderland fans up quite badly because he said that Sunderland were overperforming. You know, the points and the performances, well, the performances weren't matching the points. We weren't playing as well as how many points we've got. Uh, and we'd had the third least touches in the box and were XG and were expected goals against as well. weren't, you know, matching where we were. So I've been having discussions with people about this and I reckon the reason why we don't look good on the data is the fact that A, every team gets up to play Sunderland and B, we have obvious quality in nets that other teams don't have and we have 
players in our front four, the Gucci's of the world, the Honeyman's, the Maguire's, the Madge's, mm-hmm. who are really good finishers, better than anybody at this level. So that's why I think the performance data uh, isn't matching the points we've mm-hmm. got on the board. But I also think there is merit to say that Sunderland aren't playing at their full capacity at the minute. And I don't think anybody could really deny that. I don't really feel like we've seen the best of us Sunderland yet. No. no, I don't put a great deal of store in those performance statistics. If I'm honest with you, I mean they're in, they're of interest. Uh, they're an interesting quirk, but you know the, the real uh, statistics that matter are the, are the played one, drawn, lost points, aren't they? And and that's where Sunderland are performing, and all the rest of it. If Sunderland if Sunderland have the worst stats in in League One this this season, but finish top or second, then nobody will will care about uh, how many touches they had in the box or whether they were expected to score five goals but ended up with 65. I mean, nobody will nobody will care. For me, all that's just... Uh, uh, it's it's an interesting way of, of making a living. Yeah, I think it's one of those things that people just shouldn't worry about. I mean, if we win the game, if we have less possession, less shots, like we played Forest last year, had like one shot and won the game, that's all that matters we won. Whether or not we didn't play particularly well, um, you know, if the goalie makes loads of saves... Maybe masks over the defence not being great, but it doesn't matter. We won the game, so I think. If you... And also because because stats are, stats aren't um, uh, aren't related from game to game. So just because one, something happened in one game against one opponent doesn't mean that that there's any relation to the next game against a totally different opponent. So you know, to to me, the the it, it can be misleading. Like they say, you can prove anything with stats, and I think that's that's largely true. I think as well, the the XG probably wouldn't factor in, you know, Aidan McGeady can take on two players and put it in the net from yeah. 25 mm-hmm. yards. Not many players in League One can do that. So the data probably doesn't recognise that as a good opportunity. But when you've got quality players, they can finish. I mean, look at some of Josh Madger's finishes this year when he shoots from 20 yards and the keeper isn't expected, like his goal against Charlton. Mm-hmm. You know, but, but if Sunderland have got a really low XG and yet and yet they're the second highest scorers in the league, that tend, tells me then that, that there's something wrong with the the statistic, the the way that you're working out the statistic. Yeah. If you expect Sunderland to have a very low goal scoring record because that's what because that's the 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 data that you've got and the statistic that you've come up with, the formula that you come up with, but the actual reality, what we actually see on the pitch, is totally different. That suggests to me then that, that your methodology is uh, flawed. I think though I can understand if you didn't watch Sunderland. So I imagine George probably doesn't watch them regularly because the highlights are only on Quest. I think if you watch Sunderland in a game, you can see what they're doing. And I think sometimes that wouldn't relate to stats because they allow the team in the first half, the opposition to run around for 45 minutes in the first half and then the second half would pick them off. So that would probably mean that the stats look bad for us, but the actual reality is it's game management from Jack Ross. Jack Ross is, you know, managing the game in the way that he sees fit, and that's what's getting us points. So I think that is where the issue is with these sort of stats. To look at a, a football team on a spreadsheet and decide that they are not performing because your data says that is wrong. You need to look at both, you know. And I think Sunderland fans would say that we aren't playing at our full capacity, which is probably why these stats aren't looking great for her, but the scary thing is, is he's looking at it the wrong way. Yeah. What's actually going to happen is we're going to hit full gear and when we do, nobody will be able to stop us. We've already won seven in a row without playing at 100%. I think this will be probably the only time in this uh, in this podcast where I quote Howard Wilkinson, but, <laughs> um, you know, I, I remember speaking to Howard Wilkinson when he was the manager of Leeds in, in the 90s, in the early 90s, um, and... Uh, 
someone put put to him, you know, in a, in a press conference that on paper his his team was this or or that, and Wilco said uh, paper teams win paper cups, and I think that's very much the case when you look at these, like you say, football by spreadsheet. It's Nonsense. It can tell you things, but it doesn't tell you the full thing. You can use it, and it's helpful in some senses, but to use it... What it is, it's probability, isn't it? So what it does is it says, if you play this team five times, then you'd expect to win three time, three times out of five, but you're not playing them five times, you're playing yeah. them once. Yeah, I mean, I just I think when it comes to the stats, like all the, the only stat that is important is goal scored, and that's it. I mean, shots on target, sometimes you can look at that. And possession to an extent, but... Goal scored is all that matters, and if we win one nil and we've had like thirty five percent possession, then it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. think about we beat Man City four years in a row one nil. Yeah, I bet you our XG them games were less than Man City. Yeah. <laughs> and look at um, look at Plymouth. I mean, Derek Adams said after the Plymouth game, didn't he, that the, his team had seventeen attempts. Well, he was including block shots in there. Mm-hmm. If you if you took those out, which I've never heard any manager include block shots before, if you took those out, then Sunderland had more attempts than Plymouth. So you can, you can manipulate there. it whichever way you want, can you? Wanting to make himself sound better because he's under a bit of pressure, wasn't he? Exactly. Which is- Sometimes you can make the other you can make the team feel a bit better if they have a bad game and they get beat, and you could you know try to put some confidence in and go, well, look at the amount of shots you've had. You're obviously capable of taking yeah. the, having the chances. And I guess sometimes you can look at that and it might be able to give the players a bit of a boost if the stats look good. Right. Um, I'm all done with stats now. Yeah. So <laughs> leave that behind me. Uh, so I'll go a positive question. So Peter Stamp says, remember those days when a win was such a rare thing, something precious to be treasured like a rare flower. Ah, I prefer this. And I echo you, Peter. I agree. It is nice. Seven in a row. I mean, how many times is covering Sunderland? You've seen Sunderland win seven in a row, if ever. How many times? Well, I can tell you the last time. The last time was 2007. Um, so that w- that would be under Mick McCarthy, I think. They won no, eight in a row. Okay. So, no, it would be 2000. McCarthy, and... we did it at 05, I think. Actually, we yes. Um, that's that's right. Now, now you now you've got me doubting myself. It's one of those. It's one of those two. Would it be Roy Keane or, or Mick McCarthy? One of them won eight in a row, and I'm trying to remember now which one it is. I'm going to have to work that out because I've I've written this this stat and I now can't remember. There's two stats. There's one from Mick McCarthy and there's one from Roy Keane. Because I remember the second half of the uh, Keane season we were unbeaten for the whole of the Europe set one game. If yeah. you can just chat between yourselves for about 30 seconds and I'll be able to just get this yeah. up here nicely. I, remember I, thought, that was... I thought it was 2007 so maybe I'm, maybe it's Roy Keane then that uh, I'm thinking of. Right, okay. It's near, near the end of the season. Did oh. Near the end of the season... February, March, April, would it be? Well, we won one, two, three, one, two, three, four, five, six. We won eight, but we drew a game in between. All right, so it can't be that one then, unless that was a cup game. No, it wasn't. That was a thing. Or four, five. That's all. It must have been all four, five then under Mick. One, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah, it was a four, five. Started with a. So, Four-one win against Rotherham in February, it. and ended with a one-nil win away yeah. at Wigan. So it was it, it was under Mick. I just got the year wrong. So it was. Uh, yeah. You're forgiven. You're Thank forgiven. you. <laughs> but um, but yeah. So that would be the last last time um, that, that I, I I can remember it. So I think they were all in the league as well, weren't they? If I remember right. Yeah. All so so there's still a there's still another was, record to go for. Yeah, we've still got to catch them. Still got to catch mm. them. Uh, Gav says, presuming Cattle will be fit, do we pair him with Power on Saturday? Or do you stick with McGeoch Honeyman? Do you stick with McGeoch Power? What do you do? You're Jack Ross. <laughs> you're you are the boss. Yeah, you're the boss. <laughs> right now, you've got to make you're the decision. Ross. Um, yeah, well, uh, obviously Lee has had this 
foot issue. So my thought would be it all depends on on whether he's 100% fit. If he's not 100% fit, I wouldn't risk him. Um, if as Gav premising that on, on him being 100% fit, I think if he's 100% fit, you play Lee Catamall. If he's not 100% fit, then you then you play uh, McGeek and uh, Honeyman. For me. So, Power? No. Why not? Uh, because he's barely played for over a month. So you think Power starts Tuesday, probably doesn't start Saturday? Yeah. Yeah, I would say. I mean, I bring him on as a sub on Saturday. Um, I think Catamall, again, if he's, uh, if he's fit, play him. If he's not, then maybe again bring him on as a sub, perhaps during the game. Um, if we need uh, to, if we need a, someone in in midfield like that, then bring him on. I think there could be a I think, psychological. I think as, as well, mine, mine, Connor, you got to look at it and say, well, you know, uh, Max has been out for for a long time because of this, um, because of his silly red card at, at Bradford. Um, you know, you can't just walk straight back in into the team. You know, the, there's a there's a balance in the team. The team's winning. Yeah. Um, and I know he's going to play tomorrow, and that's the Czech Trade Trophy, and that's fine. But he's going to have to earn his place back in the side, not just walk back in. Do you think there's going to be a psychological issue with him? You know, he's sent off twice now, never been sent off his career. Sent off two times for silly, silly decisions. Really, both of them. Psychologically, does that make a difference for him? Because I imagine it. it I don't know enough about him yet to know how he'll react to it. I hope not. I mean, I've been generally, aside from those two incidents, I've been pretty impressed with what I've seen from from him so far. I've certainly not got a downer on him, but I just think like any player that's been out for a period of time, you've got to earn your place back in the team. I think um, with him having those red cards and that will have been, I think that will have probably frustrated him quite a lot over the last few weeks that he hasn't been able to be involved because of his own stupidity. And I think like he might, maybe he won't do as many tackles or he probably might not try and, be as like like Catamol would do, you know, going in for the balls. So I think he might, you know, lay off a little bit just for the next uh, first couple of games, just to maybe win some of those fans back over who have like sick of him because he's got sent off twice. I think also the players. I mean, the Bradford player stood in his leg and got him sent off. You know, basically, mm-hmm. yeah. power needs to keep his head. Just yes. forget no matter what anybody says. Call your wife, call your kids, doesn't matter. Just play the game. Forget about it. They're trying to get in your head, and I think he needs to to recognise that because if he does it again then he probably won't have the supporters on side at the minute he still mm. does just but he needs to I mean would if he got sent off again you know what position does that put Jack Ross in like it, it's just a, a horrendous place to be mm. so he needs to make sure that he keeps his head um, yeah but hopefully hopefully he does because I think he's a cracking footballer We've also got a question here saying, I've seen a few people say we look a better team with Sinclair front, even though he's nowhere near as threatening in front of goal as Madger is. What are our thoughts on that? And would it be fair to say that Ross has a handle on things he doesn't know who his best striker is? Well, so does Ross know who his best striker is? I think they're two different types of players, and I think he uses them in two different situations, you know, injuries permitting. Um, is Madger so th- still carrying a knock? Yeah, yeah, an ankle problem. Because he'd be Slight starting every problem. game, wouldn't he, if he didn't have an ankle uh, You'd assume so, yeah, yeah. But th- there are certain times when, when he brings Jerome Sinclair on to stretch the game. Um, so obviously he looked better because when, when he, he comes on, he's brought on because it, he suits a certain situation. So some of them then look very good with him in, in the side. Mm. Um, I think the two different types of players, they've got different strengths and attributes. Josh Madge is a 
better or more instinctive, natural finisher, and he will get more goals. I think Jerome Sinclair's faster. You know, he's got more more pace, and uh, um, he, he offers more in terms of holding the ball up and and also in in stretching the game, uh, getting behind defenses more than Josh Madger will. Yeah, I think he's one of those strikers who, I don't know. I mean, I'm not massively convinced by Sinclair at the moment, but I do agree that he's a different striker. If you want. Uh, 20 goals a season you're not getting from him really um, you can have like a physical forward and then you have Madger who's got more of the goal scoring prowess about him um, I mean there are a lot of teams who have strikers like that who are, are there to be the just the big guy the the big bustling centre forward who causes problems but doesn't really have the best finishing I don't think no I think mm. Sinclair one of the things that has surprised me is sort of his lack of finishing I did think but we were getting a player that would be able to score at this level, and so far he doesn't even get chances. You know, he doesn't get that many chances in the game, which is surprising. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's putting a shift in for the team, isn't he? But like you say, it's not it's not as though he's he's getting chances and missing them. So I guess in in that respect, um, you know, you couldn't you couldn't say that he's he's a poor striker in that respect. He's but he's playing in a different role. He's playing in a in a role where people are playing off him. Uh, you know, I don't want to wheel out an old comparison but he's in a bit of sort of the the Emil Heskey thing in mm. that he doesn't get many goals but he doesn't half work hard for the players around him and I think with Sinclair in there you know obviously you can see the um the uh the effect he has on Lyndon Gooch and Chris Maguire and, and Ed McGeady you're probably getting a little bit extra out of each of them um even though Sinclair himself isn't getting goals it's interesting as well. I think Sinclair's playing the role that we expected White to be playing, isn't he? I mean, I didn't think Sinclair was I a, all about him. <laughs> I know. I didn't think Sinclair though was a hold up kind of player when we got him. I thought he was a pacey in behind sort of striker, and we've yeah. got him now, and he he is far more of a, a target man mm. than I ever thought he would be. But I wonder if that's you know Ross saying we've signed White for this purpose. He's not playing. Can you do that role? And to be honest, he has done a good job of it. It's just the worry is he's not putting the ball in the back of the net. There's a question for you, actually, since you brought him up. Is Charlie White, when he's fully fit, is, do you reckon he's someone who's going to be a starter in this team? Um, I worry a bit about Charlie White because he got signed for a reason. Uh, he scored a lot of goals for Bradford last year, came in injured, played that game, scored a goal, got injured again. And I just worry that his Southern career is going to end up passing him by because, say, he comes back January, it's going to take him a while to get back in the team, get to start, and the season's going to effectively be over by the time he's at full speed. Then next year, if they're in the championship, as they expect to be, you know, will they be looking for a new striker? And I would probably say they would be, you know, if they were needing mm-hmm. to replace. So I worry with Charlie White that the injuries are going to have a big effect in this Southern. I mean, I hope that's why do you think, Why do you think they'll be looking for another striker next year if they went into the championship? Because I don't see them keeping Sinclair... And I think Wyke hasn't played enough, and then obviously we don't know what's happening with Magic. I mean, I don't know if you know if Magic is going to sign or no. No, I'm uh, I'm just interested. Obviously, that he Wyke was the player that they paid money for, good money in in the summer, um, which suggests to me that that Ross, obviously Ross is um, you know aiming at promotion, so it would suggest to me that he believes that he can make the step up. Do you not think though they've been surprised about how good Magic is? Um. Yeah, yeah, but but see the thing is that this is this is like an ongoing thing. Where do you fit this player into into your team? Uh, whether it's whether it's Sinclair or whether it's Watmore, whoever. I don't think you necessarily have uh, a fixed starting eleven. You have different players that can do different jobs, and there will be some games where you'll need a Charlie White, and there'll be other games where you'll need a Jerome Sinclair, and and so on and and so forth. It's not a case of well, we can only play play one, and yeah. if we play him, then the others are, are just 
spare parts. Right. I think I think it's, it's horses for courses, basically, and 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 he, he there is a definite role for a, a Charlie White figure, um, you know, in certain games. I think so. As a striker, I think it's because you expect your striker, you want a striker who's going to play every game and score like 25, 30 goals. And that's what you think psychologically yeah. is now. I mean, I suppose Jack Ross has proved that that's not really how he thinks. Yeah. And maybe I need to change my psyche. I mean, we need to get off my football manager head. <laughs> get rid of that consistency up front. Uh, we'll play Morgan on Tuesday. I'm going to keep it brief though, because obviously this game will probably be finished by the time some of you listen to it. So what do you reckon uh, Jack Ross will do? We've sort of talked about team, but if we're going to, you know, right there in goal, is that the expectation? And Yeah, it'd be my expectation. I mean, uh, I've spoken to James Fowler this afternoon and uh, um, he said that uh, Glenn Louvard and Zalimosta, Brian Oviedo, Max Power would all play. So uh, that gives you a flavour of what, what they're going to do. Um, what I mean, can we will do be some younger players. Sorry? What can we do selection-wise? To be honest with you, having read the Checker Trade Trophy rules, it's so widely drawn now, it's not a massive... Problem. Issue. It's not a massive problem. Sunderland could probably change all eleven players tomorrow and still be within the rules. Oh, that's good. Uh, how important do you think the game is? Is keeping momentum going? I mean, if you we're pretty much through. So say we do go through, but we did get beat. Is that you know a problem? Because we've been winning so many games, you don't want to lose a game, even if it's not that important. Or do you think you know Ross is just going to be happy to go through with respect to the result? Um, the more changes you make, the less it matters because obviously the momentum is really with your your full strength team. Um, I think uh, obviously though to get a, a you know an eighth win on on the bounce would keep certainly the the mood amongst the the fans going. Uh, you don't want to to lose any game at all, um, and I think that Sunderland could make a lot of changes tomorrow and still and still win the game. Tony, what do you think? Yeah, I think um, all the players that you saw on the bench probably will be in the starting lineup. Uh, as well um, most of them anyway and I think again full strength team is on a good run this team that Jack Ross has been using is on a good run but if he changes the centre backs and we end up conceding a few goals and maybe the goalie makes a howl or something it's still a different team but the fans won't think that way you know because they're still yeah. suddenly getting beat Yeah. so that's the thing Like it, it might be it might knock the confidence of the fans a bit the team might not be so much but, I mean, Jack Ross seems like the kind of man who just wants to win every game. So, Morgan arguably might not be that important, but he'll want to win. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I just worry a defeat could derail the the positivity and the going to the weekend, you know, not as winning seven in a mm. row, but actually losing a game on Tuesday against Morgan where everyone's expecting to win. So, well, yeah. It all depends how you draw it up, doesn't it? You know, you can, you can turn around and then say, well, it's what, four, five league wins in a yeah. row instead. So, you can, you can turn it around that way if you want. Mm. Okay, on to Wickham at the weekend. Uh, I'm going to be honest, I don't know much about Wickham. I know they've got Akin Fenwa, but he's actually been injured recently, so I don't know if he'll be playing. So what what can we expect, James? I'm going to treat you as the expert here. Are you a Wickham expert? Well, I will be after Morecambe, but, you know, one game <laughs> at a time. One game at a time. But I presume Wickham, Akin Fenwa, they're going to be, a, again, a, a long ball sort of team, aren't they? They're going to be playing off a, yeah. a big striker up front, so... It's going to be interesting. It's going to be another one at the stable. I expect them to be up for it. I expect another quick start from the away team. And I suppose you've just got to ride that first 10 minutes of them trying to quiet down the stable light and then hmm. hopefully kick on from there. But if Akin Fenway is playing, since he's the one everyone knows, you know, how do Sunderland deal with a player like him? He's such an enigma to, he's a unique footballer. There's not many yes. like him. How, how do we defend against him? With difficulty, really. <laughs> um, 
depends. I mean, if he's not. I guess he's not the quickest. He's button. definitely not quick. So like I that could be that could be something that we quick. could take advantage of. He might not be the quickest player to deal with. He's obviously a big lad. Um, but I mean, so you probably wanted to just avoid corners and set pieces, really, because I imagine they'd be the most threatening. Yeah, we're not really great at set pieces. Oh, we certainly weren't great at set pieces. Improved. I can't actually remember the last set piece goal we conceded. Well, the answer might drop into your lap, obviously, because Tom Flanagan is away with. Northern Ireland, um, as things stand. So, um, Glenn Leuven's again might not be very quick, but he's big and physical, and perhaps he might be the ideal person to put against uh, Ike Fenway. You know, if if that's the the matchup. Luke nine does he start against his former club? It's an interesting dynamic. In place of who? Well, I suppose you've got to try and find room, haven't they? I mean, you can't drop Honeyman because he's he's coming into a little bit of form. Gooch scored yesterday. You couldn't drop him. McGeady's been good for Maguire. I mean, it would you be might difficult. have cut them all. That's that's fit. So for me at the moment, the answers the answers no. You keep as close to to. I think you keep the same midfield that you that played at Port Vale so far as you can. With the only exception being is if if Lee Catamol's fit, then you play Lee Catamol. You get some managers who might want to play someone just because it's against his former team and go or give him the chance to you know, you know. But I feel like Jack Ross is more sensible than that. If we're maybe three or four nil up. Maybe then bring him on. You know, I think he'll have the confidence. Well, like, I mean, he's been he's been playing him off the bench pretty much every. I mean, yeah. 09's found a role as a an impact player and as a player who, at the end of the games, will hound defenders for the ball. So, I think 09 definitely has a role, which is good because a few months uh, about a month ago we didn't think he did. Now he's earned a role, but I, I still would like to see him get a start. You know, I'll be interested to see tomorrow night how well he plays. And if he can, you know, if he does put in a really good performance, you know, he could be knocking on the door at the start of 11. It might not be this weekend, but I think mm. he, he's close. I haven't seen enough of him starting games to know whether he he would get, get in ahead of any of the, the established midfield, to be honest. Um, when he when he did start, did he start once or twice uh, early on in the season? Um, he didn't do anything at that stage that that said to me he should be in, in the team ahead of, you know, um, Catamore, Honeyman, whoever else. Like you say, recently he's looked good when he's come come on from the bench. Um, so I guess a, a, lot, a lot of it will depend on how he performs if he plays tomorrow at Morecambe. And before we really sign off, I mean, we're going to go under an hour here, which is a shock for Oak Report, but we've got so many podcasts coming up this week. It's because, you, yeah. it's because you're trying to watch the FA Cup draw, aren't you? It could be that. Yeah, it starts, what time does it start? Seven? <laughs> the coverage at seven, but it'll That'd be, be a bit after seven. that. Yeah. I'll listen to it on the way out on BBC or TalkSport, whatever it is. But uh, I want to talk a little bit about Bob Murray. So obviously we had him on the podcast. Uh, James, have you listened yet? I have. You have? I have. Okay. I've got to say that I listen to a lot of podcasts, um, but I really did enjoy the Bob Murray podcast that he did. thought it was excellent. Um big admirer of Bob Murray. Um, I, I, want... I think he's even he in the past he's had quite a, a raw deal at various times um, but there's a, a bit of a re-evaluation of his uh, his chairmanship going on and uh, you know I'm, I'm all for that I think he, I think he's a fantastic uh, um, footballing person and you know I think it was great to, to hear him put so many of the things that, I, that I've heard him say in private before and, and conversations with him and, and my time here sort of over 20 years it's been quite nice to hear him say those things publicly How well did you know him? Uh, pretty well um, I was, I went down to his house and interviewed him um, last summer um, when I did the pieces about the 20 years at the Stadium of Light and 20 years since uh, Sunderland left Roker Park. Um, so yeah, um, pretty well. Obviously, he was the chairman when I first moved up here, and he was here for the, you know, for about my first seven seasons or so. What did you make of 
I want firstly Niall Quinn. He said a couple of things about Niall Quinn, which I thought were interesting. And I think he he almost felt let down that Quinn had A left so quickly and B Quinn had brought in um, Margaret Byrne and Ella Short. I mean, what, what did you make of Murray's assessment of that? Um, well, I think obviously it's easy to say now in in retrospect. Now we know how things turn out. Um, that that those were two disastrous decisions. Um, you know, they they might not have seemed so when when those decisions were made. The key to any the key to anything in in life, I think, is when you make a mistake and you realise it quickly and you change it. Um, now, nothing that that Niall could have done about Ellis Short once he sold the club, but obviously um, it was fairly clear early on that uh, you know Margaret Byrne wasn't going to be the right chief executive for the club so that was uh, you know that's a uh, something that could have been changed what about his sort of assessment that Ellis Shaw went about destroying sort of his legacy yeah i mean that's that's very bob bob is very um uh, uh immensely proud of, of what he's done at Sunderland and with good reason you know he was here for nearly 20 years um, just over 20 years in fact and um, he's immensely proud of what he's done he's he's from uh, this area in County Durham and been a Sunderland fan all, all his life um, and I think that uh, Bob is genuinely hurt by the predicament that the club has found itself in and the decline of the the club under Ellis Short especially um, so uh, yeah I think um, I think uh, um, I can understand why why Bob feels so um, uh, so downhearted about that. He really, I think he's, he's somebody that really, really loves the city and really loves loves the football club. And I think you could you could hear that within the within the podcast. The final one, he, he talked about Reed, and I think he shifted a lot of blame onto Reed fairly unfairly. I, I don't want to comment because I was too young at the time to really <laughs> know. But <laughs> what did you make of? his sort of view of the Reed tenure. I mean, he even said himself he might be doing a bit of a, a disservice to Reed, or might be being too harsh, but and what did you make of his view that Reed essentially just wasted money? I think there's, there's certainly an element of that. You can certainly look at, at some of the signings that, that were made towards the end. And, uh, you know, I think Bob mentioned um, Tori Andre Flo and uh, Lillian Lesland and, and Milton Nunes and people like, like this. Um, and, yeah, they, they certainly uh, were very poor signings. Um, but I think really also made some very good signings. You've got to remember, you know, he brought Kevin Phillips and Niall Quinn and Thomas Sorensen and people like this to the club, Stefan Schwartz. Brilliant squad that we had. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, you know, the, there are always some bad signings in there. You know, you can look back over um, Sir Alex Ferguson's career at Man United and you can pick out your Massimo Taibis and your Eric Jemba Jembas <laughs> for of, of Clevison. Of the lot and the oh, Clebisons and uh, yeah, uh, Juan Verons, can't you? They're expensive yeah. failures. So you know you can you can certainly pick those out of any career. Um, I think probably what happened was uh, you know a lot of the the failures came at once. The failings came at once. I think Sunderland had an opportunity after finishing seventh twice um, to push on and go to that next level, which which was what you know both Peter Reid and Bob Murray wanted to do. And that was the very moment where they they started to stumble. The signings 
didn't go right. I think, you know, Reedy said several times that, uh, you know, money was invested in, in the stadium rather than on the team. Um, that's certainly true. I think Bob Bob said, you know, the extension, North Stand extension cost £7 million. Reedy would have liked that money um, to spend on his team. But of course, there's no guarantee had that money been spent on the team, whether that would have been on another failure or on, on another Kevin Phillips or equivalent. We, you just don't know. You, you, you can put any spin you like on that. Yeah, could be sitting here for hours discussing that, I suppose. Um, before we sign off, uh, score predictions, you've got to do them. Uh, so, Johnny, Morgan, tomorrow night or tonight or yesterday, depending on when you listen, what do you reckon? Solid 2 0 win for Sunderland. James? Uh, I'm going to go uh, 3 1. Sunderland? Yeah. I'm going to say 1 0 Sunderland. Just just a 1 0. And then Saturday, Wickham, home. Another win, I think. Um, I don't know about a clean sheet, though. I think maybe 3-1. I'm going to say 2-0. I'm going to say 4-1. Feeling confident for that one. Uh, So before we go, I'm trying to think who we've got coming up. We've got a lot of different podcasts coming up. I did have the thing loaded up. I should have just left that one on there. Had a nightmare. Uh, Saturday we have... Oh, sorry. Wednesday first. Paul Reed and Kevin Ball. So they're going to be talking the academy and whatever else comes up. A bit about Paulie's career, probably. A bit about Paul Reed's career, because most people probably don't even realise he was a footballer himself. So we'll, we'll just, we probably won't <laughs> like us saying that. Like, <laughs> Yeah, don't mention that on the yeah, day. Yeah, <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's on Wednesday. Saturday, we've got Alan Durbin in, uh, Sunderland manager, well before my time, but I've got a, a couple of guys in to help us with that as well. So, I mean, Alan Durbin, do you know much about Alan Durbin? Uh, I know of, of, of Alan Durbin. I think I may have met him once, but obviously predates me as well by quite a way. Fair play. Goldsmith. I couldn't say I do. No. 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 Okay. Fair play. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so that's the schedule for this week. And then next week, we have Paul Hethering on on Monday. Do you know Paul, he- Paul Hethering? Yes. Yeah. Uh, responsible for getting yes. Peter Reid the job here at Sunderland. Uh, that was the way that the world worked, and it still was when, when I first went into journalism journalists made the connections between managers and players um, like in the way that agents now do yeah. uh, so who are you responsible for Mick McCarthy uh, me no I'm, <laughs> I'm not I'm not responsible I'm only responsible for the for, you know the, the, the successes oh fair play <laughs> okay <laughs> uh, so yeah we've got loads of good stuff coming up in the podcast as well though we are going to go quiet in December uh, because we all need time off. So December, we'll just have our usual ones. Uh, so thanks for listening. Thanks, James, for coming on and giving us 54 minutes-ish, 53 minutes of your time. Very welcome. And Johnny, pleasure to have you back on. Uh, I'm you sure you'll be back again soon. So I've been Connor Bromley. Follow us all on Twitter. Read the Chronicle. Not the mag bit, though, just the summer bits. <laughs> and listen to Johnny on Spark. You do Spark. Yes, I do. Choose. Have a little plug. Yeah. Mondays and Thursdays, one till three. Okay, and um, what is it? It's just an afternoon show with Johnny. Yep. So, what, what so we play to? all kinds of different music, spark ranges from dance tracks to rock music to absolutely anything that's happening. Any big tracks at the moment, we play them local music. Um, anything you want to talk about, you know, you're more than happy to get in touch with me and I will discuss that with you. You, you dragged that plug there. Yes. I was expecting yes. you only to give us 10 seconds. Yes. So, okay. And thanks. Thanks, James, for coming on as well. You're welcome. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. 
And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.